Proverbs chapter 4. Let's read Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says this. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words that your years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They have robbed. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Father, I pray we study your word here this morning that your people would hear it, that they would understand it, and that they would love it. And uh, that they would delight in not just the words written on a page in a book that they bought for $20 at a bookstore, but, Father, as the words of God. 
Father, may your name be blessed this morning. Amen. Wisdom. Let's ask a few questions concerning wisdom. What is it? You don't need to answer this right now, but wisdom, what is it? How important is it? How important is wisdom? How do I get it? How do I get wisdom? He tells me to, that the beginning of wisdom is to get it. Quite profound, I think. How do I get it? When do I need it? When do I need wisdom? How often do I need it? What role does wisdom play in my life? How much wisdom do I have right now? What's my... Scale of wisdom on 0 to 10. What's that look like? Am I at a 2? Am I at an 8? If you think really highly, am I at a 10? Where are we at? Where are you at? How much wisdom do I have? Should I have more wisdom at this point in my life? Does wisdom automatically come with age? Another question, just because I'm 30, does that make me wiser than a 20-year-old? Or just because I'm 50, does that make me wiser than a 30-year-old? How does education play into wisdom? Like, does education necessarily equal wisdom? Where does maturity fit into wisdom? These are all questions that, that I hope we might be able to answer at least part of these today from the text. So we think about this idea of wisdom. I want us to be asking these types of questions. What is it? How important? How do I get it? When do I need it? In our culture today, wisdom is a long-lost characteristic except for maybe some vague references to Yoda. Wisdom is absent. We don't talk about wisdom today. We don't talk about wisdom in school. We don't talk about wisdom in the home. It's something that I'm afraid we just simply assume that it comes as you get older. Oh, you'll be wise one day, my son, when you have gray hair. Oh, you'll be wise once you're over the hill. We simply have this passive approach to wisdom. As a 20-year-old, I'll, I'll, I'll be wise someday. That's if you're humble. And if you're not humble, you think you're wise already. Same thing as a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old and a 50-year-old and a 60-year-old and a 70-year-old. I, I will just get it. And then once I get to that age, I certainly assume that I already have it. I am wise because I'm old. Or I'm wise because I'm older. I'm 25, you're 20, I'm wiser. Wisdom's not even really talked a whole lot about in popular church culture today. Unless it's just kind of as, here's some general wise things you should do for a better life. But what is wisdom as, as 
The author of Proverbs says, Solomon says to us, you should get her. You should embrace her. You should desire her. Does that sound like something that you passively sit by and wait to happen? Does that sound like something you just simply go, ah, I've got it now? It is not. Wisdom is not something that we should just simply passively wait upon. As we think about wisdom, the first thing we want to talk about this morning is this. What is the value in finding godly wisdom? Now certainly I'm assuming in that, if you wanted to put that in a kind of more of an implicit statement, or explicit, sorry, explicit statement, it is, there is value in finding godly wisdom. That's what we're going to see. But the question we're answering is, what is the value in finding godly wisdom? So let's think about this for these next few moments. Now we've already read Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to bounce around a little bit in the book of Proverbs. So I'd encourage you to either write down references, look at them later, or if you can flip there super quick, you know, like Bible drills. Uh, we're just really not going to leave Proverbs pretty much the whole time other than a couple gospel references uh, in Matthew. So with that said, the first thing, the, the value in finding godly wisdom, one of the values in finding godly wisdom is that it will lead to finding happiness that is lasting. That godly wisdom can lead us to find happiness that is lasting. We all desire happiness, whether we define happiness different. I mean, each of us, happiness looks a little bit different. But we all desire it. Even the dark, gloomy soul that everything seems black and dark, there's still a level of happiness. It just may look different than our happiness. But everyone desires happiness, joy that's lasting. And wisdom here is said to lead us to finding that kind of happiness. Proverbs 3.13 says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. Proverbs is telling us that the person who finds wisdom, the person who has wisdom, is blessed. That they will be blessed. Proverbs 19.8 says, Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. Whoever, I like that. Whoever gets sense <laughs> loves his own soul. Now again, there's this idea in Proverbs that we see in 4 of getting, like actively pursuing, actively getting sense. Whoever gets sense. I just don't want you to read Proverbs 19.8 and say it's some passive adventure that I'm on. I just kind of sit back and wait. But he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. How does this happiness play into this? Well, wisdom leads you to forsake idol worship and lead you to worship the only true God. Foolishness would say, this idol will lead to lasting happiness. But wisdom says, it doesn't. Wisdom helps us see that it doesn't. Wisdom leads you to put down the remote when you should be reading your Bible. That's a wise thing. Doesn't mean you shouldn't ever watch TV, but my guess is many of us watch too much. That's foolishness. That's not wisdom. It's just a, again, just a practical example. Wisdom would lead you to worship the king and to spend your money 
on the king and his purposes rather than instead of maybe on Burger King. Ha ha. Maybe we spend too much money delighting our stomachs or letting our stomachs delight when we should spend money on the king. I think Rusty laughed the hardest on that one, just for the record. <laughs> he says it's the worst pun ever uh, that I've ever done. So I worked hard on that one. <laughs> my critique of my own preaching recently was that I'm not very funny, so <laughs> we've established that today, right? <laughs> ben says he can laugh more. <coughs> Again, just, just a couple practical, I know we're just making light of this, but some practical examples of, of wisdom that would lead to true happiness that lasts for eternity. We, like seriously, a lot of us just sit and spin our wheels in the same mud pie, the same mud hole, because we just lack wisdom. We're just foolish. Like who would look at something that is infinitely more beautiful and say, I think I'll settle for this over here. The fool would, right? Wisdom. What is the value of wisdom? The next thing is that godly wisdom, with godly wisdom, you can find life. What is the value of godly wisdom? Is that you would find life. You would find life. There's a lot of implications to that. But that you would find life. Proverbs 24, 13 through 14. Again, 24, 13 through 14 says, My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. What is he saying? He's saying, you forsake wisdom and you have no hope for the future. That is what he is saying. If you do not pursue, if you do not value, if you do not go after wisdom, that you have no hope for the future. Your hope will be cut off. On the positive side, for those of you who prefer to feel a little better about this, knowing wisdom is such to your soul, if you find it, there is future if you find wisdom, you find hope for the future. Proverbs 8, 32-36. I think this kind of sums it all up. He says this, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Who is me? Me is wisdom and instruction. So whoever finds me finds what? Life. Finds life. Life and obtains what? Favor from God. But he who fails to find me does what? 
He hurts himself. He injures himself. And all who hate me love death. You see, the fool settles for death ultimately. But the wise say, I will settle for nothing but life. The wise find life. The fool settles for a mirage of life. He settles for a lie. She settles for a lie. We settle, uh, you know, as uh, I think of C.S. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures. We, we, uh, we, we desire so little. The fool does. Anyways, he settles for so little. I just want you to think back over your life this past week. Where have you settled for so little? And I hope our minds do not wander to frivolous things, but we wander to where did we delight in something else when we should have delighted in God? Where did we settle to sacrifice for our idol instead of sacrificing for God? Where do we sacrifice for our comfort rather than sacrificing for the king? Where do we sacrifice for our ability to control the situation instead of sacrificing for God's ability to control the situation? You settled for so much less when you decided to worship your idol when there was true fulfillment and ultimate happiness in worshiping the king. See, the wise person settles for nothing less. The fool delights in his foolishness. So what is the value in getting or finding godly wisdom? Third one is, if we do not seek godly wisdom, injury and death are sure to come. And we've talked about this, about the idea of finding life. Now let's talk about the idea of finding death. <clears throat> Proverbs 16, 16 says this, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 8, 35-36, For whoever finds me, we just read this, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Understand this, and I just, I, I made this a separate point in today's sermon for a particular reason, and that is this. We clearly, in a culture where wisdom is not valued, we do not realize what's at stake. Moms, dads, do you, are you trying to teach your kids wisdom? Or are you just trying to teach them how to behave well so they stay out of your hair? Are you teaching your kids wisdom? Or you just want to make sure they understand how to add 2 plus 2? Are you teaching your kids wisdom? Or you just want to make sure that they can kick a ball? One leads to death. The other leads to life. And he says wisdom leads to life. It's a matter of life or death. So I want to make sure I'm emphatic here. The text is very emphatic here, right? One leads to life, 
The other one leads to death. Are we helping our kids? Are we ourselves? And we can't help our kids pursue wisdom if we don't care about it ourselves. One leads to life. The other leads to death. It's that important. And I just want, if you don't walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with this fact that wisdom is a matter of life and death. And in a culture like we live in, that does not care for wisdom, loves death. That's what it says. We love death. We want death. We want destruction. Now you ask anybody if they want death and destruction, they're going to say, no, no, not really, no. And even the ones that say they do, you know, you put a gun to their head and they're probably going to change their mind pretty quickly. But then you say, if wisdom leads to life and forsaking wisdom leads to death, then your life says that you desire death. So look at our own life. Think back over the past month. There's been a desire for wisdom over the past 10 years of your life or the 40 years of your life, whatever it is. Have I desired wisdom? Where is wisdom? Do I understand the weightiness of the matter? That wisdom is a matter of life or death. Again, the question is, what is the value in finding godly wisdom? I want to remind us kind of as a sub-point underneath here is that not all blessing slash happiness comes from true wisdom. Not all blessing or happiness comes from godly wisdom. There's a good caveat that I think we need at this point in the discussion, in the sermon. We live in a culture, again, that says this, listen, says, I must be doing right if I am happy or I'm having success. Right? I must be doing right. It must be wise if what I'm doing is bringing me happiness or I'm having success or it's going right. Right? We do this too, all right? So before we get disconnected and go, oh yeah, that's how the world is. Huh? No, we do this every week. We justify what we do by, by saying, oh, I'm happy or this is successful. So that must mean what I'm doing or what I did today or the way I treated that person or the thing I worship today or how I led my family. Because I'm happy, because they're happy, it must be right. Areas like family, money, material possessions, our affections. These are all areas that we justify what we do by saying, oh, it makes me happy. Now, we don't do it as like flippantly, right? Because we know, like as Christians, it's not supposed to be about what makes us happy. Right? Like we know that as, as, as followers of Jesus, we should know that happiness does not define what is right or wrong. But then how come every time something makes us feel happy and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, not so much. Or you know in your heart, ah, that's not what I should be doing. You still do it each time. It's because it's what makes you happy. 
Understand that not all happiness comes from true wisdom. I mean, there's, I just, I have some examples here. I'm, I'm not going to give these examples today. I just want you to think back over this past week. <clears throat> I want you to think back over this past week and go, what have I done this past week that I know I should not have done? Whether it was choosing something over something that I know I should have done. I failed in this commitment in order to be fruitful in this commitment over here. What have I done? And I, 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 just, I bet, I bet, if you trace that decision that you made, at some point in that string was a happiness justification. That this brought me some sort of perceived blessing in my life, whether it's it made my family happy or it made my day go easier or whatever, and that became the justifier for doing what you either knew you should not do or you at least knew that it probably was, at the very least, questionable. I want you to consider that this past week, this past two weeks. Now, here's, the, here's another, I just got to get a side point, and that is this. If some of us fail to discern what is right and wrong because we lack wisdom, we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want you to understand for right now, understand that not all happiness comes from true wisdom. Proverbs 15, 21 says this, Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. But a man of understanding walks straight ahead. This folly is a joy. Think about that for just a second. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. To him who lacks wisdom, folly is a joy. Now certainly this is true of someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> They're going, they lack the sense, they lack the wisdom that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And their folly is a joy. Now, it's not hard, it's not, it doesn't take much looking. I mean, you can look on social media, you can look at people who probably work at, and you can see the foolishness, and then you see the proclamation of joy. Well, this is what makes me happy, or this is fun, this is enjoyable. All right, I mean, most people at work don't talk about, wow, the decision I made over the weekend just really ruined my day, right? I mean, man, I'm just making terrible decisions, and it does not bring me joy. I mean, no one's doing that, right? It's I made this decision, and here's my justification for it. It's my joy. The fool, he says, his folly is a joy to him. Now, now, now that's clear to say outside of ourselves. Now, I want us to look inside, as Proverbs 4 tells us, to, to look at your paths to look directly forward and gaze, to ponder the path of your feet, right? Ponder the path of your feet for just a moment and say, where have I found joy in my folly this past week? Maybe this morning, maybe right now, where am I finding joy in my folly? Guys, if we do not have the wisdom to seek happiness in God, to find joy in God, then we will find it in whatever substitutes we can find. Guys, 
none of us are going to have a hard time finding temporary joy in something else other than God. The danger is not that you would worship God too much. The danger is that we would worship anything else too much. Obviously, any would be too much, just in case someone needed clarification on that. But understand, the happiness that these things bring, that our folly brings us, is not true, and it's not lasting. I mean, understand this. What are we delighting in? We're delighting in our sin. I mean, ultimately, is what's going on. We're delighting not in the wisdom of God. We're delighting in the foolishness of man. It's not just, oh, I'm just delighting in that bad decision that I made on Sunday. No, it's that I thought I was wise enough to make this decision, and that led to my sin. Because we were not made for the temporary joy of this world or the unsatisfying, frustrating, incomplete happiness that we find in worshiping other things other than God and making foolish decisions. We were not created for that. We were created for ultimate joy and ultimate happiness in God. And that is what Proverbs is saying can only be found by wisdom. That that leads to life. We must be seeking godly wisdom. I hope if there's, again, anything that you get from today, and particularly this first point, is that we must be seeking godly wisdom. It's not something that we just leave up to chance, or we just expect once our hair color changes. We must be seeking godly wisdom, never assuming we have enough, never assuming we have arrived We must be seeking godly wisdom until the day we meet wisdom himself. So I suppose the next thing we must do as we think about wisdom is this. We should probably define what godly wisdom looks like. We should define godly wisdom. Now, here's where many of you are looking for that checklist of, all right, we'll see how many ones I can check off. And Okay, cool, I got two out of five. I must be kind of wise. All right, I got five out of five. I must mean I'm really wise. So what are the characteristics of the person who has it? What are the characteristics of the person who at least has some measure of godly wisdom? And, and many of these points are not just, it's not just, oh, I'm that way. And so I have wisdom. No, it's a matter of what kind of measure of which do you have this particular point. So, for instance, the first point is this. A person with godly wisdom will be characterized as one who fears the Lord. Someone with godly wisdom will fear the Lord. He will fear God. Will fear Christ. Fear the Holy Spirit. Will fear God. Now, that's not just something any of us can just go, yep, that's me, uh, I'm scared, and checkbox, right? Like, we can't do that. Man, I just looked into those lights, and uh, now I can't see anybody's face. Um, that was not wise, right? <laughs> All right, vision, come back, there we go. <laughs> but fearing the Lord is something we have in measure, right? It's as we are sanctified, we grow in our understanding and knowing and fearing God. 
Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And we don't have time today to define all that what fearing the Lord means. But certainly it means respect. It certainly means uh, not flippantly approaching the King of Kings. It means understanding that he could squash you like a bug right at this moment if he wanted to. And he would be just in doing so. Okay? Uh, unless, of course, you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you know. Uh, then that would kind of be going back on his word. So, anyways, caveat. Uh, like, he fearing God. Like, what is that? So, we, that, that we can talk about that maybe in house gathering this week. What does fearing the Lord mean? There you go. I just gave Rusty a question for this week. But godly wisdom always begins with a godly fear of the Lord. At the very least, fear, it's a fear to seek life and refuge anywhere else besides God. You understand that? Like, fearing the Lord, would f- you would fear seeking refuge, seeking rest, seeking life anywhere else but God. You would be fearful of worshiping something else other than God. So when we think about idol worship, as we talk about all the time as a church, are you fearful to worship something else other than God? Are you fearful of the destruction that that means for your life, that God would certainly be sovereign in issuing to you? It's, it's also a respect of God that exceeds your respect for anything else, but instead, your respect for everything else flows from your respect to God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It's also a fear of ceasing to trust and depend on God. Do you fear not trusting God? Or is it just, i got to trust in God because that makes me feel better? I mean, I think many of us, that's our motivation, right? I'm just going to trust in God because that makes me feel better. Now, certainly it should. It should bring us more joy when we trust in the only one worthy of our trust. That should bring us more joy. It should make us, bring us more happiness. I got that. But do we fear trusting in something else other than God? I wonder if we don't fear trusting in self uh, other than trusting in God because we don't realize that when we trust in something else other than trusting in God, we are saying to God, the creator of the universe, that this item, this thing, even myself, is more trustworthy than you. And we point our finger and say, no, 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 my ability to go to work today, that's more trustworthy than you. Or, no, 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 God, I, I'm going to spend my money this way because I know better how to spend my money than you. But it's a fear of ceasing to trust and depend on God to meet your needs. This is fear of God. From this fear of God flows all wisdom. Proverbs helps us understand that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. If you do not fear God, then then you don't have wisdom. Period. You have some level of cultural intellect. I don't know. But you don't have godly wisdom. What does that mean if you don't have godly wisdom? What What Proverbs say? What does that lead to? It leads to death. 
So what do we need? We need to fear God. So probably many of us should spend some time this week and understand what does it mean to fear God. Whether we think we're wise or not, whether we think we're pursuing wisdom or not, we should spend some time and think about what does it mean to fear God. So Christians, do you fear God? Do you fear disobeying Him? Do you fear these things? Do you do you seek to know His commands? Do you fear God? Next characteristic is a person with godly wisdom will be characterized as one who is truly humble. Truly humble. I hate having to put all these qualifiers on everything, but in our day, it's helpful. Truly humble. Truly humble. And I'm going to get to what I mean by truly humble in a few moments. Proverbs 11.2 says this, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is what? Wisdom. Pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble, there's wisdom. In our culture, let me speak for just a few moments, we tend to mistake knowledge with wisdom. Right? I just, just an observation. Many of us mistake knowledge for wisdom. But knowledge devoid of wisdom brings pride. I mean, we're in a highly educated culture today. And we tend to think, okay, because I have that paper on the wall, or because I've been to school, or because I've gone to college, or because I have this degree or that degree, that that makes me wise. Or at the very least, if we don't say that the education makes me wise, it's the education makes me live and act and at least think I'm wise and live practically as if I am wise. But the proud person is not a wise person. The proud person does not hear the Lord. He does not fear the Lord either. Instead, the wise person knows that he is dependent on God for everything and has nothing to be prideful of. So even so, the wise person who has the degree that hangs on the wall or has the education, I mean, even if you don't, haven't been to college, there's still a level which we think we are wise because of the education that we have. But even those people who have a PhD or whatever it is, we, if you are humble, you know that all of that came from God. Not just the ability to pay for it, but the ability to learn it, the ability to know it, the ability to study it, the ability to reason, the ability to remember it. All of that comes from God. You are dependent on God for that. And the humble person knows it. The wise person knows it. If fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then humility is the second layer to this foundation. So if you're not humble, you're not wise. If you do not fear God, you're not wise. If you're not humble, you're not wise. Every other aspect of godly wisdom, again, flows from fear, humility, flows out from there. Now, let me press in a little bit at this point, okay? Many of us would say that we are humble, right? We're just going to reflect for a few moments on humility here. But here's my question. How quick 
are you, am I, to admit your errors and need for growth? How quick are we to do that? Man, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm failing this area. I, I, I struggle here, yeah. Not doing too good. God, I need help. How about need for your growth in yourself, your spouse, your kids? Now, now, again, let's look back over the past week. How many times did you consciously recognize your need for growth? How many times over the past week did you admit errors? Not just errors on that report you filled out at work, but errors in your heart is what I'm talking about. Like where you decided to worship something else other than God, or you decided to delight in something else other than God. How many times over this past week, past two weeks, whatever, did you admit that? Because the reality is, is if, if we weren't admitting errors over this past week, if we weren't admitting our need for growth over this past week, then we're living as if we don't need it. Not humble. Now it's easy, now again, we'll take this step a little bit further here. Now it's easy when it's just a conversation with yourself. Right? When I'm conversing with myself about error and about ways that I need to fix and areas that I need to grow, that's an easy conversation when it's just with yourself. Because you can convince yourself that it's not as bad as you think. Right? But how quick are you to express that to others in the body? And how quick are you to receive exhortation and admonishing concerning your errors and need for growth? This question, I ask myself this question. Errors concerning yourself, your kids, your spouse. You see, a fool and a prideful person, when confronted, gets puffed up and defensive. They get prideful and defensive. They recoil from. But the humble person is open to counsel and reason and ready to be corrected and follow truth. So again, we're thinking about am I wise? Am I wise? How do I respond to exhortation, admonishing? Do I seek it? Again, I there's a hundred scriptures. You can go look that up later. I'm not going to proof text all this. We should know enough of scripture in here as a church by now to see that. That humility is not, I've got it figured out. But humility is, I need to grow and I need help and seeking that help. And particularly seeking that help in the body of which you are a part of that God has given to you. Let me press in a little bit further, okay? So if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, I'm putting cleats on now. All right. Humil- yeah, I think they're laughing more at you, though. I think their laughing was with you, <laughs> not at me. So it doesn't help. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's press in a little further. Humility does not recoil when instructed to do something. All right, now listen here. I love it when, when it, because a prideful heart, when instructed, says no. I don't want to do that. Whatever it is. 
whether it's the Word of God, a boss at work, pastor at church. I, no, I, uh, uh, uh. I was in a conversation, it was probably a year and a half ago, where, where the person said, I just, I just don't like being told what to do. They're, they're referring to something in the church, and uh, it was something to do with, like, you know, winding up cables and things like that. And they're like, I just don't like being told what to do. Like, what do you mean? Like, I want you to ask me to go do it. And I'm like, okay, well, we need to think through this. What issue, what, why would we not want to be told what to do? I mean, that, that's a problem in our day. We don't like authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. You know, we're our own people, and we're strong and mighty and blah, 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 blah. But what happens is this. This is what we do. We convince ourselves. We convince ourselves that we can, when someone in this world tells us what to do, we can recoil at that. But when it comes to God's Word and He tells us what we should do, we won't recoil at that. Like, we'll be submissive to that. But when, when God's authority that He's placed in my life in other areas, whether that's a boss or a cop or the government or a pastor, that when they instruct us, I can recoil there. And that's not indicative of my heart. And when I hear the Word of God, I'll, I'll, I won't recoil there. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone where they truly have that divide. Because the ways in which God has given us to submit to His Word and to submit to Him is in the authorities that He's placed in our lives. So it's not only indicative of how our personal relationship with God is, the way we recoil or the way we respond over here, but it's also the way in which we indeed do submit and respond to God is through these avenues of life that He's given us. I would suggest if the tendency of your heart is to recoil when you're commanded or instructed to do something, then, then you probably do that way all the time. Because the reason is it's not circumstantial. Right? We, try to, we try to say the way we act and the way we honor God is very circumstantial. Like, I will, I will respond this way here and respond differently here. The, if it comes from our heart, we're going to respond the same way in both places. So, how do you respond? How do you... Do you recognize your need for growth? Do you recognize your need for, you know, again, I have to ask myself the same question all week. Do I recognize my need? Do I seek the exhortation and admonishment within the body myself? Because remember, I, I first, before a pastor, Rusty, before he's a pastor, is a member of this body. Right? Let's see what Moses said about this point. This is essential for growth and wisdom. Moses said that wisdom consists in knowing and doing the commandments of God. Deuteronomy 4, 5-6 says this. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. This sounds like a familiar story, right? Verse 6. Keep them and do them 
for that will be what? What? Your wisdom. That will be your wisdom and your understanding in the what? In the sight of peoples, in the sight of the nation. That will be your proclamation. Who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, what? Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Wow. So what happens is that a humble, wise person does not recoil at commands, but instead willfully, lovingly submits to those commands and seeks to know those commands too, I would say, is implied in the text. Matthew 7, 24, reference from the gospel, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who is speaking there? Jesus. Whoever hears my words, what are his words? And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. All right, so next characteristic before we run out of time this morning. Is a person with godly wisdom will be characterized as hearing and doing God's word. It's basically what we've kind of been saying already. But a person with godly wisdom will be characterized as hearing and doing God's word. Remember we talked about in Luke about taking care to hear the word of God. That every time we hear the word of God, if we don't take care to hear the word of God, then we'll either be hardened or softened. So when we hear the word of God, sorry, let me back up. When we hear the word of God, we're either hardened or softened towards God. If we don't take care to hear the word of God, meaning we don't hear the word of God rightfully and with an open heart, humble, wise, then instead of walking away more softened and loving towards God, we walk away more hatred towards God. I've seen it time and time again, even in our church already, that people who do not take care to hear the word of God eventually grow cold and hard towards God. It happens. There is no, here's the deal. We think we can hear the word of God and remain neutral. A wise person knows from the word, you cannot. You hear the word and you either grow, walk away loving God more or walk away hating him more. So do you seek to hear the word of God? So this morning, did you say, well, I hope the church prepares me to hear the word of God? Or did you make it your initiative to prepare to hear the word of God this morning? I even, I, I repented myself as I was sitting in my, in my pew, in the chair, worshiping this morning I, I didn't do it this morning but I repented for weeks in the past where like I just don't take the time to prepare my heart to come in here to hear the word of God you see understand like even for me as a preacher as a teacher I'm hearing the word of God right now too and so if my heart is not hearing the word of God, if I'm not taking care to hear the word of God, guys, you, you would be amazed at how many things God teaches me as I'm teaching the word. Like something, oh, wow, I didn't see that. Now, sometimes it comes out as a rabbit trail or whatever, but a lot of times it just goes in my brain and I go, oh, thank you, God. There's times when I'm preaching that I repent in my, in the, in my mind and in my heart because I go, God, I didn't, I'm sorry, you know? Now, that's not necessarily a concern for this time for me to vocalize that, but there's times where I go, man, I didn't. Wow, and then taking care to hear the word of God. 
So taking care of the hear the word of God. Do you seek to hear the word of God and do the word of God? So as you read the Bible, as you hear it preached and taught, as you, as you hear it through the private ministry of the word, where brothers and sisters bring the word to exhort and admonish you and help apply the word to your heart, do you seek to hear the word of God and to obey the word of God in that? Next characteristic. A person with godly wisdom will be characterized as able to apply the word to areas of life that the word does not specifically address. That is a very long point. I'll repeat it again. A person with godly wisdom will characterize, will be characterized as able to apply the word of God to areas of life that the word does not specifically address. One more time. A person with godly wisdom will be characterized as able to apply the word to areas of life that the word does not specifically address. Oh, how we need this today. Oh, how we need this today. We are so pathetic in knowing the Word of God that in order to handle all the cultural things going on and, and, and even non, like just areas that we need to grow in, we have to find a proof text for it. Like I need to have a, a, a verse in the Bible that explicitly states that this is right and this is wrong. Or I should buy this house or this house or I should live at this place or I should, you know, wor- show me the text, right? That's what we hear today. Show me the text. Scripture and verse, right? That's what us super spiritual people say, right? Scripture and verse, please. Can you think through, here's the question, can you think through the implications of the Word of God and apply it to the areas that it doesn't explicitly talk about? Can you do that? Can you take the Word of God and apply it and its implications its implications is what the text is saying that it's not explicitly stating. Right? For example, when you allow your child to disobey without punishment, are you connecting the dot that you're teaching them something untrue of God? Right? I don't think you can find a verse that explicitly states that. I mean, you can, teach a, you can find plenty of verses that say you should punish your kids. But, the idea that it, it is teaching them, like you're the authority in their lives, and you're teaching them every moment of every day something about the authority of God. Now, that punishment can look different, I mean, certainly. And there's moments of grace and things like that, but some of us maybe do too much grace, and we forget that God is also just. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, about applying the word beyond what it explicitly says. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's about 12 verses, but 1 Kings 3, go read it later, 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28. It's the story of Solomon and the two prostitutes. The story of Solomon and the two prostitutes. What happens is they both pregnant, they both have kids. The story tells us that during the night, and then they're basically, if I understand correctly, they're in the same home, or at least close by. And in the middle of the night, one of the prostitutes rolls over 
and kills her child, like in the middle of the night. She doesn't like purposefully kill, she smothers it, I think is what the text is speaking of there. She rolls on top of the baby, the baby dies. So what she does is in the middle of the night, she sneaks over, takes the baby, puts the baby in the other prostitute's uh, bed, and takes the living baby and puts it in her and begins to live the next day as if that is her child. <coughs> well, basically the other, you know, the other lady now with the dead child is saying, no, 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 that's my child. That's my, you have my child. So what do they do? They go to the king. They go to Solomon. And Solomon says, basically the end of the story, Solomon says, well, why don't we'll just kill this child so that neither of you have a child. And what happens then is the mother, the true mother of that child, says, it's not mine. You, you, she can have it. She can have it. Why, why did she do that? <clears throat> because she'd rather her child live than die, right? And Solomon knew with wisdom, because of wisdom, that the true mother would give up her child so that she could live. But the, the mother who was not the true mother wouldn't care if the child died because it wasn't her child. Now, 1 Kings 3.28 says this at the end of that story. It says, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. They heard of what Solomon had done. And they stood in awe of Solomon because they perceived that the wisdom of God was, with, was in him to do justice. Now, there was no biblical command to tell Solomon what to do in this situation. There's no biblical command that said, you know, when two prostitutes come to you and one had killed the son while it was sleeping, and you know, that you should play a trick question on them. And, but, I mean, that's how a lot of us approach the Word of God. Like, like, if it doesn't explicitly state it, then that must mean freedom. I can just do whatever I want if the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about it. Or if the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about something that we're struggling with, we're going, we, we lose hope. I like what John Piper said. He says, Wisdom must include a sensitive, mature judgment or discernment of how the fear of the Lord should work itself out in all the circumstances not specifically dealt with in the Bible. That there's a, there's a sensitive, mature judgment, discernment of how this should work itself out. Colossians 1.9 says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, right? Knowledge of His will. How would we know the knowledge of His will? It would be the Word. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So one who's wise is this. They will follow God's Word and will discern the way to live even when there is no clear word from God. Did you hear that? Someone who is wise will know and be able to discern the way to life even when God's word does not speak explicitly about that situation. You say, well, how do I do that? You have to know the word. You say, well, it's, but it doesn't address the situation specifically. Yes, so it probably means you need to know more of the word. You've got to be able to draw lines, you know, like kindergarten. Connect the dots, right, so that you have a picture when you get done. 
So instead of having one verse that says you should live life this way, you've got 40 verses that say that you should live this life this way. But you have to connect those dots in order to get the picture of what that looks like. But if you don't know God's word, then you're not going to know the implications of God's word. You're not going to know what the, all the pieces fit together are trying to tell you. So you've got to know God's word. So the last question is this that we're going to ask today, and we'll fly through this pretty quickly, is how to pursue godly wisdom. How to pursue godly wisdom. Number one, ask God to give you an increasing desire for wisdom. Ask God to increase your desire for wisdom. Ask him. I think James says something about that. In your DNA groups, you should have probably read about that by now, or at least close to it in James, about asking for wisdom. The Bible is not making a suggestion there. The Bible rarely makes suggestions, if ever. Proverbs 4.8, we read this passage earlier, Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Now think about what the author is saying here. Prize wisdom. Like you should prize wisdom. I should prize wisdom. I should have a desire of wisdom that looks like prizing wisdom. What does it mean to prize? That's not something that you passively wait to happen, right? Something that you prize. It's something that's got great value. It's something that you don't want to give up. It's something that you would pay a great price for. It says to embrace her. Right? Some of us embrace pride like we hug. Here, you know, right? Like embrace, embrace wisdom. Grab a hold, do not let go. If you don't value wisdom, then ask God to give you that desire. Or if you don't value wisdom enough, I think we all, let me say this, we all should walk away today asking God to give us an increased desire for wisdom. All of us, myself included. Let me ask you this question. What are you willing to give up in order to have godly wisdom? Is there anything in your life right now that you would not give up in order to have godly wisdom? Would you give up your kid? Or to start the hard one, you know? Like if God chose that through the death of your child to give you godly wisdom, that that would be one of the outcomes of that, would you be okay with that? Remember, remember, wisdom leads to life. Now, I'm not saying we should pray that God take our kids so that we might be, that probably would be a little selfish. But I'm saying, God, what am I not willing to give up for godly wisdom? That's probably your idol, too, for the record, or at least one of them, one of the many. I mean, we're practical Hindus, right? You know, we have multiple gods. If you don't value wisdom, then ask God to help you value it. Again, remember, you can't do this yourself. God has to do this in you. I got, you know, I'm going to desire more wisdom this week. It might last through the end of the day. Number two, you must work hard to know the Word of God. Surprise, surprise. 
We must work hard to know the Word of God. Work hard to know the Word of God. Let me emphatically state and command, work hard to know the Word of God. Wisdom is found in the Word of God. Have you noticed this other like kind of kind of like little theme running through a lot of the verses that we've read about this understanding and insight, right? Along with wisdom, you kind of see those words kind of tagged to and sometimes interchanged with the idea of wisdom. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Know the Word of God. Know the law. Know beyond just the Pentateuch. If not just a study of the Word, but I'd also encourage you to study other great students of the Word as well. So how does one know how to discern what to do when the Bible doesn't explicitly speak to a situation? You must be so saturated with the Word that you can pull out the implications and the applications for your situation. Number three, you must talk to God about it. You must talk to God about it. How to pursue godly wisdom, this is kind of related to number one, but you must talk to God about it. You must pray about it. Godly wisdom that leads to life is not something that just happens to you. It's something you must ask for. Again, it just doesn't come as you get wrinkly and hair changes. I remember reading James in high school. And I, I certainly don't mean this. I, I mean this humbly. I remember reading James in high school. I remember sitting at my desk. I remember which corner I was facing and talking about wisdom and asking for wisdom. And I just remember asking God, I, God, I, I pray that you would make me wise for your kingdom. I don't remember exact words. I just remember desiring wisdom. And uh, I've seen the value of wisdom. You must ask God for it. Number four, think frequently of your death. How's that for feel good? Think frequently on your death. If you want wisdom, think frequently about your death. Think of the shortness of this life and the infinite length of the next. Okay? Think of the shortness of this life and the infinite length of the next. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of what? Sorrow? That we might die soon? That we might get a heart of wisdom? I hope some of you remember talking about this in Ecclesiastes. That we would be wise by counting our days. I mean, some of it, guys, some of us put so much emphasis into various things in this very temporary life as if we think we're going to be doing them in heaven. Or as if they might get you there. If you live only thinking of today, then you're a fool. But instead, thinking of the future will force you to think and seek wisdom. Thinking upon your imminent death will prune your life of all 
the wastefulness. Right? Pursuing your foolishness. Instead, pursuing wisdom. Are those things you spend all your time doing, is that helping you grow in wisdom? Is that helping your kids grow in wisdom? Or are they helping them grow in foolishness? Are they perpetuating foolishness? So think frequently on your death. Thinking about our death would help us maybe spend our hours a little differently. Maybe we wouldn't spend as many on the internet, or maybe we'd spend less watching TV, or we'd spend more time praying and with God. <clears throat> number five. This is the last one, number five. How do we get wisdom? Number five. We run to Jesus. How do we get wisdom? We run to Jesus. Like how Matthew 12, 42 talks about Jesus is greater than Solomon. Let me read this for you. It says, The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Think about what that passage is saying. The great, the wisest man, the Bible says, the wisest man to ever walk this earth, and something greater is here. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.24 later this week. 1.24 in verse 30. Jesus is said to be the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the way and the truth, Right? What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing the truth in part. Or at least in part, wisdom is knowing the truth. It's John 14, 6. He's the way and the truth. To know and follow Jesus, guys, is this. It's to own the treasure of wisdom, which leads to happiness and eternal joy. To know Jesus, to know wisdom, and to know wisdom is to what? To lead to life. So Christian, do you see that wisdom itself stands right in front of you? You see that? Not right now, not not me, right? Jesus stands right in front of you. Do you see that wisdom? Do you see Him as the wisdom of God? Be encouraged, even when you are foolish, Jesus is still wise and actively persevering with you on this journey towards wisdom. Be encouraged. He is there. Be encouraged. He will give you the grace and strength to pursue wisdom. What are you pursuing? Him. But we have to move beyond the ambiguous pursuit of this person we call named Jesus based upon all of our life experiences and the little bit of biblical knowledge we have and substitute instead of that knowing Jesus through His Word. Moving towards knowing Jesus through His Word. We know Jesus through His Word. We are moving forward in this pursuit of wisdom, which leads to life. Lastly, be encouraged. He is your wisdom. Right? Do we know that? If your identity is in Christ, He is your wisdom. Love and follow Him. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I would say this. Do you, do you understand that your wisdom apart from God leads to temporary happiness now and eternal punishment later? 
godly wisdom would lead you to abandon your self-dependent wisdom. Abandon that. Abandon your own righteousness and dependent upon your wisdom because it will never be good enough. And godly wisdom would lead you to understand that Jesus paid the price for your sins. And Christian, he paid the price for your sins. If you're wise, you will know that and you will remind yourself of Jesus' death and payment every day. But if you're not a follower of Christ, he would also, wisdom would lead us through the word of God to say we should repent of our sins and place our trust in his work. His work on the cross. His work in paying the price for your sin. Repent of your sins. Place your trust in Jesus. Godly wisdom is saying this. Jesus is the only delight that will never leave you wanting more. Do we desire wisdom? Right? Do you desire wisdom? I hope, I hope now you have an unquenchable thirst for wisdom. I hope now that, that you go home thinking about wisdom. Think about how you can study the Word and, and gain more and how you can ask God for more wisdom and beg God for more wisdom and how, how you can begin to live out that wisdom and, and understanding that I need to take time in my daily life to like think upon this with wisdom. Like, and to seek wisdom. You know, one of the ways I didn't say that we gain wisdom, but it could be a sixth one in there, is, is by seeking wisdom from other people. Uh, seeking wisdom from, from pastors. Seeking wisdom from other people in the church. From, from other wise people in your life. Seek wisdom. I hope you guys see this. It's, it's a matter of life and death. But the beauty is, is that those of us who are redeemed, we have wisdom himself. All we need is by the power of the gospel and the grace of God to know him. And to not settle for a Sunday school education of Jesus. That we would work hard to know him. Let me pray and we'll sing our last song for today and, and worship and reflect on this in the next few moments. So, Father, thank you for your goodness today. Thank you that uh, we can pray through wisdom, we can talk through wisdom. Father, thank you that your word speaks about wisdom. Father, I pray that you would give your people an unquenchable thirst for wisdom. That they would know that this leads to life and not death. This leads to happiness and not unhappiness. And, and Father, that wisdom leads us to know how to deal with the things of this life and sorrow and pain and also the joys and helps us to sort through, is this a, a joyful thing, Father? Is this a rightfully joyful thing because of the wise decision that it is, the right decision that it is? And, and Father... Uh, I just pray that uh, we would be open to people help speaking into our lives and helping us see that maybe that's not a wise thing. Maybe it's a, even an unbiblical thing. Help us to not recoil at the care and concern of others when it comes to wisdom. Both wisdom in areas where the Word does not speak directly to and wisdom in areas where the Word does speak directly to Father, as we worship you in these next few moments, let us, let us reflect on the idea of wisdom and the command to get wisdom. For it's in wisdom, 
himself's name that we pray. Amen. You guys stand with me this morning.